What's up, world? One way that you can support the show is by liking and subscribing on any platform you're listening to. And don't forget to check out our Clips channel on YouTube. Thank you for supporting the show. We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. I'm Willie. And I am Cameron. Yes, you are. What's up, Cameron? Hey, Willie. <laughs> What's happening with you? Excited. Excited to be back on the show. Yeah. Talk about some stuff. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It feels like it's been uh, about a week. Yeah. Remember the last time we hung out? Yeah, it was last night. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. We, we had, had dinner, huh? We had dinner. Wasn't quite a meeting, but it was like yeah. a meetup. Sometimes I feel like uh, all I need for a meeting is me and you. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I mean, really that is, but that's our topic for today is meetings. I feel like we always try and come up with a really creative way to segue into the topic. <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes so, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, but but meetings, know. I like that idea. I, I, I think it's uh, it's important to talk about. Uh, meetings were, are just so important to... The recovery movement. I think it's it's fitting that we talk about it, what they've done for us, and what they are. You know, like like where to find them, what to expect, mm-hmm. all those things. You know, because uh, twelve step is so largely a part of the recovery process for so many people. Oh yeah, millions and millions of people have mm-hmm. gotten sober through a process of not just sober, sober clean, abstinent um, through a twelve step process and uh, recovery meetings in general, you know, meetups and groups and fellowship, those kind of things are essential to, I think, not just the recovery movement, but mankind in general. We're kind of a pack animal. Mm-hmm. Tribe, tribal animal. Tribal, yeah. We like mm-hmm. we like like-minded people that are moving in the same direction. That's one of the things that you'll find at meetings, you know. So right. I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about it, you know, because mm-hmm. we never have. We've we've talked around them. A bunch mm-hmm. of times, but never really. What is a what is a meeting? What do you mean by meeting? Where do I go for a meeting? What can I expect from a meeting? Well, I wonder. You know how many how many people listening have never been to a meeting? Yeah, it it is it it's is a, a good poll, question. It's a poll question for our listeners and, and viewers. Yeah, and it's such it is such a, an important part of of my program. And it's funny because we talk about, I think, you know, we, we mostly associate that to 12 steps, but there's, you know, there's other, other recovery groups that meet. I've been to a couple of, um, refuge recovery meetings. Have you uh-huh. ever heard of refuge recovery? I've heard of it. Anybody else it? ever heard of refuge recovery? Refuge recovery is basically, um, recovery around the, uh, the Buddhist principles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you go and uh, it's like a 15-minute meditation. And then it's a lot like an AA meeting after that you share. And, discussion. Uh, discussion. So, But, yeah, I mean, I think that 
what we get from meetings is that sense of community, right? Mm-hmm. That is just oh so important for for us in our daily lives. And so to have meetings that we can go to is is an important part of that because like you said, we it's important that we get together with like-minded people. And I know you even talked about some sort of meeting-esque things that you have found with some of the people that you interact with daily on your workout oh, yeah. platform. Yeah. It's turning out to be quite quite the it's a big part of my day now, you know. Uh you know, I joined that group um Mighty Networks through through my fitness coach who put put this group together and now we can go do a workout and then have a Zoom meeting afterwards and it's basically like a meeting, you know. We talk about our struggles, we talk about our wins. It's more focused around the fitness part of it, but addiction does play a huge part and the group that I'm in, you know, Mm -hmm. and so that fellowship is so important to me. And I didn't really know my very, my very, very first memory of anything to do with AA was from a neighborhood kid who I don't even know why we're talking about. I think maybe my dad had to go to AA because my dad went to treatment when I was 10 Mm -hmm. and he was in treatment with my sister like right. they were in the same treatment center, the weirdest fucking thing. Like I don't know that that would ever happen now, but when I was ten, you know, it was over thirty years ago. But when I was ten, they were in treatment together—a daughter and a and a father. Which, anyway, so <laughs> they, it does seem kind of weird. They were in treatment at the same treatment center at the same time, um, and. Maybe my dad had to go. I don't know. But this this guy that lived across the street from us, a family friend for a long time, he's like, yeah, man, everybody that goes there just fucking cries about shit. It's the fucking dumbest thing I ever heard. Like, just stay away from it. You know, it was like super negative. Wow. And so I took, I took that as, uh, you know, gospel, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. I might have been 11 or 12. I don't know how old I was. It was still several years before I made it to my very first 12 step meeting, which was a narcotics anonymous meeting inside of a jail mm. was a, was an H and I meeting was the first one that I went to the guys from, from there. But, but I, I was real reluctant to go. Sure. And had I not been in jail looking for something to get out of my, my pod to go do, I probably still may never have went to a meeting, but, um, re, it, you know, needless to say, like I went, and it was good for me because there was people that took that meeting into the jail that I recognized from the streets that were clean now, hmm. you know, and they, they brought that in. There were people that I seen or knew of using and partying, and they brought this message of recovery and, and a new way of life into the jail and shared how Narcotics Anonymous had changed their lives around them in the steps. and. I didn't really take much away from that as far as the program itself went, but the seeds were planted, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean, I can share a similar experience. Like I, you know, I, I, I came to the conclusion that I had a problem with drugs and alcohol for, you know, for a while, but I wasn't sure exactly the best way to fix it. So for a second, you know, I was trying to do that through counseling you know, and my counselor recommended that I try an AA meeting. And at that point, you know, I was willing to at least check it out. I don't know how open-minded I was, but I, you know, decided that it was worth at least going. 
And, you know, it felt really, really awkward, like pull up to this church, which was weird. Like, why is this in a church, you know? And then you go inside and, and I just remember, you know, everybody was just happy and laughing and, and talking back and forth to each other and like kind of joking with each other. And, and I thought it was like a handlebar mustache convention. (laughs) I was like, I'm not in the right place. Like I don't have the right facial hair for this place. Yeah. But which, you know, which is obviously a joke, but it speaks to the kind of judgment or, or, or yeah. what you might think about the people that are in those rooms, right, at first. They're definitely not like me. That was the biggest thing. Sure. And then they would talk, and, you know, and I, I introduced myself as a newcomer. And, um, and then I remember somebody after the meeting, like, gave me a book and wrote their phone number in the book. And, and the know, AA Big Book? Yeah, the AA Big Book. Okay. Um, and gave me a their phone number and, and, you know, told me to call. And it was, it was just a real, I was like, what are you getting out of this? Like, what, you know, there was obviously some, I, I, I assumed that this person had a motive. Like, why would you take the time to, you know, to, to reach out to me and explain all this to me? And to, mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense to me, you know? And I left, you know, just going, all right, well, I, I guess I checked it out. I don't know that I need to <laughs> see that again. But, yeah. but it was, uh, it, you know, like you said, it planted the seed uh-huh. for sure. Because there definitely was some sort of something that these people obviously were getting. They were happy mm-hmm. and cheerful. And, you know, like, honestly, like, I, I'm not sure that I believed it. Like, yeah. You know, they would talk about how they were sober or how they hadn't drank. And I was just like, bullshit. Because at that point in my life, like it just, I, I couldn't fathom a group of people like that, that were all sober just because it was such a sure. big part of my life and what I was doing on a daily basis. And, and the people that I associated with as well, that I, I, I couldn't fathom that there was a group of people that weren't religious <laughs> that, that, you know, didn't drink. Sure. It was is kind of crazy, but yeah, it's good though. Right. Like, I mean, you know, it, in, in it's, it's been such a process for me, you know, um, because I went to that first meeting and then, uh, eventually I, I went to several meetings while I was, while I was locked up that particular time. And then I got out and, and, you know, I told the, told the people that I was going to be getting out and they, gave me a meeting list, which is something that you can get. A meeting list is just a list of meetings probably in your area with addresses of times and and places Mm -hmm. where people are having AA or NA or OA meetings. And they gave me a meeting list and I went to one and I've, I've never forgotten this because I walked from my parents' house to the meeting place, right? I walked. And as I was walking up about a block away, from the meeting was the dealer. Hmm. Okay. And, um, I got there and I was standing in front of this church door and I was a fucking mess. I was just a wreck. And, uh, I was thinking, fuck, I can just scooch over to homeboy's house. Sure. Sure. What am I doing here? And, and like, I didn't seem to have the, 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 physical ability to open the door myself i just like oh my fucking god i couldn't believe how hard it was to to go into this meeting and so i decided to go get high i'm mm. like fuck 
can't do it. Fuck this. And I turned around and the door opened. <laughs> and there was a guy standing there like, hey, you here for the meeting? And I said, yeah. And I went in and it was him and, and another lady that uh, didn't really speak English. Hmm. Me, him, and that lady in my very first meeting outside Oh, three-person meeting? Yeah. Wow. And so these meetings, they can go from, like you said, you know, me and you having a meeting right. to several hundreds and even thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it took me a long time to gain the, the sobriety that I have now, you know. But meetings were a constant from the time I started going to meetings. I always knew that it was a place for me to go. Because uh, I did believe the people there, you know, mm-hmm. um, I did believe that there was something to the whole recovery movement and there was something to the 12 step program in itself as far as wanting, you know, being able to change your life through a process that's usable, that could make sense, you know, mm-hmm. and even though I didn't do it, I didn't do the 12 steps for a really long time. I just went to meetings. Right. You know, I'd go and I'd drink coffee and people would tell me, hey, keep coming back. Fuck, people want me to come back. Right, right. I guess I'll keep coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I did. And I and I did. I found fellowship there and I found a place where I kind of fit. Um, even though it was quite the up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And so uh, when I got arrested this last time, at least I knew where to go, mm-hmm. you know. I knew that I needed to go back to meetings. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, like it, I remember revisiting meetings, you know, through a treatment center. It was like eventually it had gotten bad enough where, where I had to, I had to seek treatment. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I couldn't stop drinking, you know, like I, I wanted to stop and I couldn't stop it. And I've, I've told my story on the, on the podcast before, um, episode three, if you're interested. Um, good plug. But, uh, yeah. Nice plug. Um, but, you know, so when I was in the treatment center, they had them there at the hospital and we were required to go. And so there was definitely some appeal. Eventually, you know, I started believing what they were saying. And, and really what it what it gave me in the beginning was hope. Mm-hmm. It was like, damn, like, OK, like these people seem to be able to do it. And, you know, like they they don't look like people that would succeed in much. <laughs> Yeah, you can't you can't judge them by the way they look. Yeah, right? you know what I mean. But of course, you know then like uh, that that's that was before I had any program. So of course I you know I was passing judgment and passing judgment sure. on myself and just full of insecurity and you know every every negative anything you could possibly think. I was manifesting outwardly and inwardly. And yeah. So, um, but but yeah, like it was it was just a, an hour of of hope and goodness mm-hmm. and. And, you know, just this inspiring sort of message that felt spiritual in nature, but not religious. And, and so I was like, wow, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to this, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe there's something to what it is that they're talking about and what it is that they're recommending that I do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I can look around this meeting and see that these people have something that I don't have and that I haven't had in a very long time, which is serenity. Yeah. You know, and boy, that, that sure seems like it might be nice to have right now. Yeah. So, yeah. 
one of the things that I noticed off the back, uh, you know, kind of off of what you were saying is, um, I, I ended up going to treatment when I was 24 and meetings were a part of that treatment center. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was awesome being able to leave the center every night to go to a different 12 step meeting. And, and in Wyoming where I was at, there was AA and NA, there wasn't any OA, which is overeaters anonymous, um, or SA, which is sex anonymous. And now there's CA, which is cocaine's anonymous and crystal meth anonymous. And, and there's a lot of, of, of chemical specific meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the ones that are, are the, the has established in our area now is CDA, right? Which is chemical dependence anonymous. And there's a great group there that, that I attended quite a few times and, mm -hmm. and enjoy that one as well. But we would go out to these and as I tried to get sober, what I started recognizing was that people were sharing things that I kept secret. Right. They were sharing openly about their behavior while using and drinking that I kept to myself, that I didn't know it was going to be okay to talk about this kind of stuff. And people were sharing things that happened to them throughout their lives that I didn't know how to share about. You know, they're, they were open and willing. And then there were individuals in there that were willing to take you one on one. You know, there were guys that were willing to take me one on one take time out of their life, out of their schedule, out of their homes, you know, and take me, sit me down and talk about how the process worked for them, mm -hmm. you know, and we're willing to show me the, the guidelines that were within the, the literature of the 12 step group, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for me originally when I got sober the first time, uh, in treatment, I primarily went to Narcotics Anonymous. That's where, that's where I resonated mostly. And we used, uh, the NA basic text, which was, which came after, uh, the AA big book, you know, narcotics anonymous broke off from alcoholics anonymous. And there's, I mean, you can, I'm not a history buff on it. You know, I know that Jimmy K was, was the founder of narcotics anonymous and, and that has done wonders for addicts. Sure. You know, just, it's such an amazing program. And these people would, would take me out for coffee you know, that was a big part of the meeting. You oh, know, coffee, of, yeah. Coffee is still a big part of meetings. One, one of the big things is go to a meeting and then go out for coffee after mm -hmm. and, and continue to talk about program, continue to talk about recovery, continue. The meeting to, after the meeting. Yeah. You know, get a little basket of fries because I couldn't pay for nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. But these guys were trying to, to give me freely what was given to them. Right. Which was freedom from active addiction mm -hmm. and eventually it stuck mm -hmm. you know eventually it stuck and so i'm grateful to go all the way back to that very first meeting hospitals and institutions you know h and i which is where i try to put a lot of my service work now right is going back in i can't go into the jail because of covid but as soon as they open it up, I'll be going back in the jail mm -hmm. saying, what up to my people, you know, sharing this message as, as best I can that way, mm -hmm. you know? So as, as you know, we move on, like, like, what do you think somebody that's going to a meeting for the first time can expect? Well, I think the first thing that you can expect is to feel different, <laughs> but then maybe by the end of it, recognize that you're not different yeah you know like i think that you can expect it to be awkward and to be uncomfortable 
Sure. And to probably be everything that you have in your mind that's bad. You mm-hmm. know? But also, you can expect to hear something that will resonate with you. You can expect to hear, you know, uh, guidelines and, and steps and, and rules that, that will seem, you know, different, but somehow will make sense. I think, you know, like when they, when they read the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it was like, what? But also like, huh? Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it was weird to hear, but it all made sense too. It was like, well, I can see why doing all this would be really, really beneficial. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think, uh, one of the things is, you know, it is sort of important to break down like, you know, how meetings work and what, what, what is or isn't okay in a meeting, you know, like, because I think that sometimes you get first timers in a meeting and they don't know the format, they don't know how it works. And so it's like, you go in, you sit down, there's a chairperson, right? Right. A chairperson's going to lead the meeting. A chairperson will start out by saying the preamble and then they'll call on somebody to read how it works. And so that person will then recite, you know, this is all information that's based in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They'll read how it works from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, one important thing I think to people who have never been to a meeting is to know that, you know, we don't ask questions directly in the meeting. We share our stories as, as they are our individual stories. We don't give people feedback on their shares during the meeting. Mm-hmm. It's called crosstalk. So it's important not to crosstalk during a meeting. People share their stories. And then if you want, you can approach that person afterwards and, and talk to them more about their Coffee. story. Yeah. Meeting after the meeting. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, and you don't, you try not to double dip. Like, and every meeting is different. Double dip is basically just share more than once in a meeting. Yeah. Right. Um, so in every meeting is different. They might have different rules or guidelines. Um, sometimes it's a, you know, a speaker meeting where somebody will speak for the entire meeting. Sometimes they'll mm-hmm. speak for half an hour and then they'll open it up for open sharing. Sometimes it's a call on meeting where people are called on and you call on the next person and only those that are called on speak. Like it can be completely different depending on where you go and who's who the chairperson is. And, and I think that there's some basic things like, you know, that we just talked about yeah, that are, that are some good of the things that are the same throughout. Like I've been to meetings all over and, and some of those things, regardless of the format of the share portion of the meeting, the beginning of the meeting seems to be consistent, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's NAOA, AA, whatever that is, there's a welcome, you right. know, welcome to the meeting. The, the chairperson will identify with whatever that 12-step meeting is. They're going to they're gonna open it up, like you said. Um, one of the things that you can expect to see is a seventh tradition, which, right. you know, you can uh, generally, um, and what the seventh tradition is, is the way that the meetings fund themselves. And AA or NA as a whole is funded through the donations of members of the group, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, a lot of people will go in and, and I've been, I, I've heard this several times. People will come in, they'll see a blue book on the table and a basket for money and they'll go, Oh fuck. I'm, right. Yeah. I seen, I seen this cartoon. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't come here for church. 
And generally, you know, the rule or, or the suggested amount is a dollar a meeting. Right. You know, it's not too bad to, to pay for the coffee, which, you know, uh, pay for the free literature as well as the space, the space, yeah. you know, pays for rent. Um, well, and they say, you know, generally if you're in, you're in your first 30 days that you don't have to donate Yeah, and not that you are required to donate after that. It's just recommended because with sobriety generally comes security. Mm -hmm. Like most, most people get better if they work the program or work a program, right? Like my personal experience is when I first came to meetings, especially this last time I have, I didn't have shit Mm -hmm. except for wreckage. Right, right, right. I remember me and Avery were on our way to a meeting, okay? And this was when we were living in the camper. And um, it was, we had my old car that she wrecked. And, uh, oh, you just have to point that out. Yeah, she wrecked it right. and several times. Oh, why not? But, <laughs> but, uh, so we're headed there, and we're going to be late. And so there's a toll road on uh, off of one of the interstates up over here between... Riverdale and, and you went to anyway, I know you guys don't know where that's at, but there's a toll road and you can go on that toll road for, um, I think it's 50 cents an axle or, or some, I don't, I don't know what the, it's a buck every time I go through. But, okay. Yeah. So for a dollar yeah. and we literally didn't have that mm. and we didn't know if we had enough gas to get around without going. Oh man. Yeah. The other way. Interesting. Right? And so, uh, that's where we started, right? But now we get to put money in the basket, right? Right. Like they wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't conceive of asking you to put that last dollar in the basket. That's not what it's there for. Mm-hmm. You're not there to pay for this. You're there right. for us to give you this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. freely, and and hopefully it's something that you can resonate with, and it can start changing your life. Because if you're going to meetings. Right. The great thing about going to meetings is you may find somebody that will walk you through the program because meetings are not the program. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can get confusing. Sure. But as I worked the program by going to meetings, my life got better. My life got better. You'll hear him say a lot of times in meetings, your life, not it's not guaranteed your life will get better, but it will get different. It will get different. You know, but my life got better. You know, and I'm grateful for that, Mm -hmm. you know, and so meetings and fellowship lead to program as far as, as far as I can tell. And program leads to self-awareness, which leads to a successful life of fulfillment and joy. Mm -hmm. And, and when we live in a, in a life of fulfillment and joy, the desire to kill ourselves gets less and less and less and the desire to live gets greater and greater and greater. And so relapse becomes farther and farther and farther as an option, mm-hmm. right? The, the ability to stay sober, stay clean through all of life's adversities, you know, through, uh, life on life's terms, if you will, right. Gets more manageable. Mm-hmm. Everything gets more manageable for me when I'm going to meetings, working the program and helping others. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's such a big part of, of, of my program. And I, I heard it said once, um, you know, that, that every now and again, I've got to bring it in for a landing and that's what a meeting is. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that generally like my thoughts 
are all the way out here, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're everywhere. They're, you know, they're all around me. They're never exactly where they should be. My focus is never actually in the present moment. But the minute that I go to a meeting and I share with people who know what I'm talking about when I say stuff like that and who know how it feels to, to have to deal with the things that, you know, I have to deal with as a sober individual or as somebody who, who, who struggles with addiction or as somebody that, you know, has the disease of alcoholism, like to be able to share my thoughts, feelings, and emotions in an open and honest way with people who know what that's like will really sort of take me out of myself, put me into the present moment, and just allow me to sort of be for just a little bit, you know. And it's said that, you know, like, who we are outside of the meetings is, is we try and be, you know, who we are in the meetings outside of the meetings, you know, and not the other way around. And, and so I think it's important that, you know, I personally go to those meetings to sort of check out of myself and check in with, with the fellowship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially early on, you know, because, um, what you're exactly what you're talking about. You know, I remember going into meetings early on as, you know, as, as I started building my career, in, in the industry that I'm in now and I would make mistakes. Right. And I would go to a meeting. Now I, we suggest that you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, your first, your first go, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a, a couple reasons for that. And we may get into that, but go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, I, I did way more than that. You know, I, for, for the first couple of years, I dare say I went to one a day before I had kids, you know, that, that was, easy enough for me to do. And before COVID that was easy enough to do, Mm -hmm. you know, it got me out of it, but I could go and bring it in for a landing and share about this stuff. And, and sometimes the meeting would end up shifting to that focus and, and and the entire meeting would be solutions to whatever that problem was from other alcoholics that had experienced that exact same mistake in, in various different ways, you know, and they be like, yeah, I've done that same thing. I've done this thing and this is what I did about it. And this is how I feel now or, or whatever. And it put me in a place where I didn't have to feel alone or broken or, or in, in a lot of fear that my life is over. Cause the first two years of, of this last nine, I would have panic attacks. Mm. It, It was not easy for me to get sober this last time. It was not. And I, and I don't think it's easy for anybody to get sober. Like I'm just, um, I, I thought that when I heard somebody else that had eight or nine or 10 years, I thought, oh, it must have been easy for that person. But I know now that it's not. Right, right. right. And, and, and that the disease manifests itself in new ways even right. today. Yep. You know, and so it's good to, I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard the expression of bring it in for bring a landing. For a landing. But I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, you know, one of the things as a newcomer that we want to keep in mind, too, is that you're going to end up on a pink cloud. Right, you know? right. And so it's so important that you continue coming to meetings because that pink cloud mm-hmm. is going to turn into a fucking rain cloud eventually, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and you'll hear that expression in meetings. And, and I love the pink cloud. Well, I what love does it, it mean? I love it when people are on it. And, and basically, it's you come in and you start getting sober and I feel so fucking good. It feels good to be sober. That I think all of my issues are done. Right. right. I, I think that 
that I'm going to be able to handle everything with dignity and grace mm-hmm. and, and that there's not a cloud on the horizon. Nothing is going to bring me off of this. And, you know, uh, it seems like everybody goes through it. Sure. It seems like across the board, the longer mm-hmm. I'm here, like it seems like everybody lands on the pink cloud and it's, it's a wonderful place to be. And I'm so grateful for people to be on that. I'm so grateful for the time I was on it, you know, because I can go back and I can I can compare it to when I'm not on it and mm-hmm. remember that, you know, remember that it's not always it doesn't rain all the time, right? You know, um, part of the the way the disease manifests itself in me is that when I get into a negative space, I will think that I'm always in a negative space, you know. I'll, I'll forget all the sunshine and I'll be like, God, my life is always just a mess all the time. You know, nothing ever seems to go right. And, and if, if I allow myself to stay there and I don't contrast it with the pink cloud, then I might believe that, Mm -hmm. you know, I Mm -hmm. may believe that. And that's just not true. Right. You know, and then I'll get on the pink cloud and I may think this is fucking easy. Right. Recovery stuff. I don't even feel like drinking. I don't, even, I don't even want it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that pink cloud, man. Like it's funny because I have, I just have so many experiences with, with, uh, with in and out of the rooms of AA and different treatment centers. You know, I went through once and I really got introduced to AA and then I got out, I relapsed while in treatment. I got out, I couldn't put a clean 30 days together, but I was still going to meetings. And then eventually I just stopped going to meetings mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't want to show my face around these people because I wasn't doing well, you know. Yeah. And then, and then eventually, you know, like I went back, and after I came back, I was completely just humble. I was like, yeah. I'm just gonna shut the fuck up now because, like, I obviously don't know anything. Mm-hmm. You guys just tell me what to do, you know. And even then, like. I would say I was on a pink cloud, you know, after treatment and I would go to one, maybe two meetings a week. I was on a pink cloud for a while and I was just doing really well, like fitness wise and, and, you know, eating and, and I went back to school and, you know, I just sort of felt invincible, you know, and then I started, I don't, I don't know if I want to say complacent, but I started, I started getting cocky maybe not I don't even want to know if I want to say cocky but I started feeling like you know like I I I got this I got this yeah like you know it's hold my bear it's gonna be okay I got this and then eventually I started realizing that I was going crazy Mm -hmm. and that you know if I kept if I kept doing things the way that I was doing them it wasn't gonna end up in a good place for me and so I started going to more meetings and I sort of doubled down and I got a new sponsor and, you know, he was a sponsor that, that, um, that worked the program the way that I felt like you should work the program. He was somebody that wanted me to check in with him every single day and, um, and different sponsors do different things and the program, you know, works differently for different people. And I think that's the thing about, you know, AA or a 12 step group is that you find somebody that, that has the version of, of, their program that works for you in your life. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. I want what you have. Like, 
show me how to do that. Like, and, and you ask that person to, to help you and walk you through it. And so, you know, like I noticed a big difference in my overall just spirituality when I finally, you know, got a sponsor and started going to more meetings and actually working the 12 step program, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it made such a difference in my life as far as my overall sanity that it was like, okay, this is what I've been missing. And I don't know, you know, like I'm not going to waste time investigating like why I allowed myself to stray from it, but I will just notice that this is probably what I should be doing and just to continue doing it, you know? And so, so, you know, now I, I, I notice it if I don't go to meetings, Mm -hmm. I notice it if I, you know, I, I, and when I say that, like what I notice is I start believing the lies that are in my head, I think is probably the best way for me to sum it up is like when I'm not attending meetings regularly, when I'm not talking to other alcoholics and when I'm not, you know, working a program, I start believing what my brain is telling me, Mm -hmm. you know, and it might be, um, Oh, you're, you, you really fuck that up or, Oh, you're worthless or, Oh, you know, you don't look good today or, you know, maybe a drink might, you know, and it's only like so many of these thoughts that, that will eventually get me to the one thought that says a drink will make it better. Right. And, and if I start believing these thoughts, that's where I'm headed. And it's like, you know what? Like I better bring it in for a landing. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it in for a landing. You know, so, um, you, you touched on, on your sponsor Mm -hmm. and, um, I know, I know what a sponsor is and I know that you know what a sponsor is and, and so just real quick, like, like what it, cause that's one of the things that you may find at a, at a meeting, right? Right. And I'm glad that you brought it up cause it's something that I do want to touch on cause it's such a big part of the 12 step process, mm-hmm. you know? So, so what do you mean by sponsor? A sponsor is somebody that's been through the, the 12 steps of AA and have reached the 12 step of AA and the 12 step of AA is to give it back what freely or give freely what has been given to you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the way of service or sponsorship or whatever that may look like. And so a sponsor is somebody that, you know, I reach out to and ask specifically, Hey, will you help me by guiding me through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's my definition of a sponsor. Somebody that willing to, to walk you through the 12 steps, the way they were walked through the 12 steps. Right. And it may not work the same for you as it did for them, but there's, there's plenty of different ways to do it mm-hmm. you know i needed a sponsor big time right because i couldn't figure out how to do all 12 steps on my own and i'm, I'm glad yeah i'm so grateful you know that was the guy that took me out for coffee mm-hmm. you know that spent time out of his life and showed me how to work these steps with other people so that i could work them with other people and hopefully help change their lives as well you know the 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 fellowship of the program in its entirety is a game changer for people that are willing to keep coming back. You know, if you're sick enough to keep coming back and you're sick enough that you are at a, are at a place where you know that alcohol and drugs are destroying you and your life and Mm -hmm. your family and everybody's miserable because of it. This may be a really good program for you to change your life because what came out of it you know, going to meetings, meeting other alcoholics, listening to their stories, getting on their vibration, 
believing their growth, getting with a sponsor, trusting that sponsor, walking through the steps one through 12, Mm -hmm. all the way through getting to 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of those steps, being able to take that into a meeting because you will start sharing differently from day one to step 12. Oh, sure. sure. <laughs> Just the, the way that you fucking think will yeah. change, mm-hmm. right? The way that I see the world changes. Mm-hmm. When, I ch- when I change the way I see me, I change the way I see you mm-hmm. and the way I, I, I see the world. And, and one of the things that working with a sponsor did for me, and I've shared about this before, was it put me in a position where I was finally completing things, mm-hmm. right? I was finishing stuff. And one of the first things that I remember ever finishing in my life successfully with a great amount of, of um, appreciation for something that really brought success and determination into my life was the 12 steps of Alcoholics sure. Anonymous. Like mm-hmm. getting through all 12 of those honestly was such a game changer for me because prior to that, I was failing at everything in my life, mm. right? But I could take step one and finish it, step two and finish it. Mm-hmm. And my sponsor could give me another step and I, and I could see progression through that. You know, I could look back at before I did a step and I could look back at from step six and see where I was at step one. And it happened fairly quickly for me, mm-hmm. you know, this last time. But I continued to, to stay working with him and the other thing that ended up happening was I got a message. Mm-hmm. I was able to gain through going to meetings and working with a sponsor and doing the steps. It gave me the opportunity. It gave me the, the credentials, if you will, to be able to share an honest message in that arena. Mm-hmm. You know, like what we're doing now at this, in this podcast, I owe completely to 12 step meetings the 12 steps that I worked, the fellowship, our friendship, you know, Jordan back there uh, and, and completing this stuff to the point where I feel like I have authority to be able to share this stuff because I have some experience in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And and it's so important for me because I can't keep this stuff inside. Right. Mm-hmm. I just can't, you know. And so COVID hits. Yeah. <laughs> kind of changed, yeah, the the entire nature of meetings. Like it was the first time ever where it was just dang, like where do we go for a meeting? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean every everything closed down. It was you know? it was wild. Yeah. There for a minute. And then and they all shifted to online and actually presented a lot of kind of unique opportunities, but it really for a second there it really allowed everybody to really appreciate how much we were getting from meetings yeah because they were no longer available yeah in in the sense that they were because there were there was a lot of meetings in our area well not a lot but there were some that were like fuck give a fuck we're going we're going to the park right yeah addicts be addicts Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we're gonna get our medicine but um you know we we did find an online community Mm -hmm. you know which which was new which was a shift for what we're doing now you know and you know when when i go to meetings um some of the things that i didn't realize in early recovery you know there's so many pros to go into a meeting right right but 
um, meetings are not a hotbed of mental health either. No, no. And what were you going to say? Well, it's funny because like, I, I feel like I, uh, recently been reading, uh, reading this book, drop the rock, um, which is, it's, uh, it's geared around steps six and seven okay. for, for AA, which is, um, you know, all has to do with our, our defects of character. Um, but, and, and in that regard, it talks about, it tells this story about one, one dude that goes to a meeting and he's annoyed because the person that's giving the preamble mispronounces a, a couple of words. And then one, one person stands up and introduces himself as an alcoholic addict, which if you know anything about AA, depending on the meeting can be like a big deal. Yeah, controversial or whatever. Right. And, and, uh, just how that person, you know, like when the meeting was all said and done, was like, that was the worst meeting. And then another guy is like elated to see a new person at the meeting, you know, speaking and giving the preamble <laughs> and, you know, and also really, really got a lot from that person that got up and shared their story. And then at the end of the meeting was like, man, like that was the best meeting. Right. And both of those people were at the same meeting and they both got what they were looking for. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like. I get out of a meeting what what I'm usually expecting to find. Yeah. And there has been plenty of meetings where, you know, somebody gets up to speak and there may be, like you say, like maybe not exactly all there or whatever the case is. And it's like, okay, well, this is my opportunity to work the program in a different aspect, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I'm no longer here to get value from maybe what this person is saying. I'm now here to practice patience right. and tolerance. And understanding, you know, and really work on those defects of character of mine. But I'm not perfect. I've been in plenty of meetings and passed judgment. Like, oh my God, this motherfucker is still sharing. Yeah. Like, uh, like yeah. well, you know what I mean? W like Willie's gonna share again. Yeah, Here we oh go. man, he says the same thing every time. Yeah. No. Yeah. I but, hear you. Yeah. It's. I mean, it just speaks to you know, like, and and we've heard this said before too, where. You know, you might you might tell somebody, well, sometimes meetings aren't that good, and that person will say, well, it's because you didn't bring anything yeah, to the what meeting. You bring? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, fucker, calling me out. You, you know, you're right. Are you there for you, or are you there for the new guy? Right. Mm -hmm. What are you there for? You know, and early on, you're there for you. You know, and hopefully, if 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 you work the program and you become stable, and you do this stuff, you get to a point where you are there for the new guy. And, and that's why it's important to keep going back, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. AA, NA, OA welcomes everybody. And there's no background check to get in there. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that that is talked about often is not getting into a relationship. And, and you know, I don't know that I necessarily, like, I don't know what you need. As a sponsor, I don't know what you need, mm -hmm. right? I'm there to to walk you through the 12 steps. But there are suggestions based on, um, a, a, a lot of years of experience mm -hmm. yeah. with this stuff, you know, and one of the reasons that they say don't get into a relationship is one, you don't know what that person's going through. You know, there's a lot of people that go go to meetings that are previous sex offenders that. So you mean don't get into relationships with other people at meetings? Well, it's suggested. They say right? both, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like as a newcomer, like don't, and I'm, I'm not, if if it was if it, if that was the case, me and my wife wouldn't be together. Well, it's funny because I've you heard know? I've heard that they say don't get into a relationship for two years after you sober up, but nobody knows if it works because nobody's done it. <laughs> exactly. 
right? But there's a lot of experience with with this. I, stuff. I've seen it work out very, very badly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and once in a while it works out well. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to hear a lot of different opinions about uh, the the proper way or the right way. You know, you're going to go to a meeting and they're going to talk about God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to talk about uh, quote unquote, non, no specific God. However, you're, you're going to know which God they're talking about based on, well, you it, know, you, you might, oh, when I, I usually do. Well, that's because you have a biased opinion. Like, like, and, and you're going to hear, I do have a biased that, opinion. I mean, but, and that's exactly what I mean is like, but, you, you hear what you want to hear but, or what you don't want to hear. They're also going to talk about higher power. Right. Right. And so you're going to hear both of those things, you know, um, people will say things that may offend you, mm-hmm. you know, and people may say things that resonate with you. And so when you go to a meeting, the important, the the biggest, most important thing for me is to remain open-minded right. to yep. why are you there, mm-hmm. right? And for me, I go now to find the new guy and try to share a message of hope with that person. Right. Because mm-hmm. when I went as the new guy, I was looking for a message of hope that perhaps I could break the chains of addiction in my own life, which... I didn't always believe I could, mm-hmm. you know, and fortunately now there's meetings everywhere. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, including in your own living room or, or office yeah. or bathroom or mm-hmm. car, mm-hmm. you know, because of, of zoom meetings and online groups. Now, A-A-O-A-N-A is not the monopoly is not, the only source of recovery as we're learning in uh, with the podcast, we're learning that that there's so many people getting sober through different, different ways. But um, like, I like to suggest that you go to one. If you, if you suffer from alcoholism or drug addiction, go check one out. Yeah. You know, go find a meeting. You can go online. I think it's aa.org. aa.org. Yeah. Or um, na.org, you know, or look up Overeaters Anonymous, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever um, anonymous you need, whatever flavor of anonymous you feel like you need to go mm-hmm. to. And there's probably going to be a link to a meeting list, like the one they gave me in jail. That's going to tell you where it's at, what time, whether it's an open meeting or a closed meeting, open meetings are open to anybody, whether you're an alcoholic, not alcoholic, um, whatever you identify with. If you're just going to study it, open meetings are, are for anybody from the public can go Closed meetings are for alcoholics or addicts. Only people that do suffer from the disease of alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, compulsive overeating. Um, you're going to find men's specific meetings. You're going to find women's specific meetings, you know? Um, so gender specific, you know, uh, there's LGBT. Meetings. Yeah, there is. Um, and so, Whatever you're, you know, think about the reason you may not be wanting to go and go with an open mind. And, mm. and it may be just the thing you need. I've heard of people staying sober for a long period of time doing online meetings only. Sure. Um, there's still that fellowship of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's all, all, all gravy. It is with me. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've had some interesting meetings because of this COVID. I've, 
I've, you know, I've done some with people all over the country and I've, I've tuned into, you know, South African meetings and, and been able to have meetings with people that I wouldn't normally be able to share meetings with. And so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's been an adventure and, and I suggest that you try more than one meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do recommend that you that you check out a meeting if if you are an alcoholic or you have a problem, but I recommend that you try two or three because they're just different. And sometimes it finds a, a second to find a meeting that really resonates with you. Mm-hmm. But that would be my recommendation. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it, it's perfectly fitting because, you know, our war story today, like, yeah, she had a, she had a first meeting experience that, kind of resonated with me you know well and it's and it's funny tia. because the the handlebar mustache with tia tia i say that about the handlebar mustache and 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 for tia it was a, a trucker hat right <laughs> yeah. she had somebody with a trucker hat that had said something to her that really she resonated with and it planted a seed with her yeah and even though you know her her moment to begin aa wasn't at that moment it planted a seed and later when she finally got to the point where she was desperate enough she came back. Yeah. And, so. and luckily, you know, yeah. because she didn't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody intends on becoming an alcoholic. Like there might be some that are like, you know, I just, I just hope I become alcoholic. She, her, her, she, she wanted to be perfect for her mom mm-hmm. and, and it turned into a disaster for her life, you know? And I mean, I think she does a great job telling her story. She tell it way better than I could, but you know, um, I'm really grateful for everybody that tells their story on our, on our show mm-hmm. because I get so much out of it and I can really relate with Tia. Yeah, so, absolutely. I uh, loved it. We'll, uh, we'll roll into her story. Yeah. So yeah. Let's with, do it. Without further ado, here is Tia's war story. Well, first off, um, I know you thanked me, but I want to thank you for having me on the show. I did watch some episodes and like, I always love when I see people spreading the message. Um, That's so important. And I felt like throughout a lot of my journey, I didn't have anywhere to turn or didn't know where I could turn. So that's a big part of my recovery as well as making sure that anytime you're asked to participate, that's what I wanted to do. Um, So I'll just jump into my story. I'll give a little bit of background. I like to start off with telling the first time I interacted with alcohol. And I was about 13, I think that was like grade eight, grade nine. And instantly it affected me differently. Um, I can still remember it, it almost like it flowed through my vein. I could relax, I was so calm. And um, I never, like, you know, I blacked out that night and you know, a bad experience and woke up with a hangover, but there was never a moment where I was like, I'm never doing that again. Even at the worst part, I was like, I need to do this as soon as possible. Um, so that's my first interaction with alcohol, which was very foreshadowing to a lot of my experiences. Um, but just a little bit of background on me. So my mom had me very young, but she was a kind of Cinderella story and kind of threw her life together, worked uh, multiple jobs, and kind of created this beautiful life around me. Um, My dad wasn't really in the picture, he was at a distance, but it was kind of me and my mom. And then she got remarried um, and I'm mixed race and I bring race into it because it's a little bit of my story. 
My mom is white and she remarried another white gentleman. So I always felt I looked a little off from my family, but it was okay because we were a little disjointed. Um, and about 12 years old, my mom and my stepdad, who, you know, they gave me everything and never did anything to make me feel unwanted. But I just felt growing up like something looked off. And then when my sister was born, she was born around 12 years old. It was almost like I was so happy for my mom. She finally had this picture perfect white picket fence family that we'd watch on TV and I always wanted. Um, but I felt outside of it. And to compensate, I always felt like I needed to be perfect at everything. I needed to not be a burden. I needed to just, you know, make sure I belonged and not do anything to make them turn away from me. And that was all inward. And now that, you know, I've reflected and I've gone through a lot. Um, it was mostly my way of interpreting things, but that's how I felt growing up. So the first time I interacted with alcohol, like it was like the first time all those walls could come down. And I didn't feel like I needed to create this perfect perception. I could just be, um, it was like I was breathing for the first time, to be honest. So that was around 13. And then throughout high school, I didn't really have alcoholism as a problem. I just had alcoholic tendencies, I would say. So I was, when I would drink, I would not stop. But I wasn't drinking all the time. It was here and there. But I wouldn't stop. I would go until everything's finished. And people would be like, you know, you can stop. I'm like, I can't. I just need more, more, more. It's always more. Um, but on the flip side, I also kept up a good facade. So I knew if I got good grades, if I was involved in sports and checking all the boxes, people would kind of leave those odd behaviors alone. Um, so coming out of high school, I had a little bit of an alcoholism tendencies. And um, my grandparents died back to back. Um, my grandpa had a stroke and my grandma died right after. And they were kind of my anchors. So while I was growing up and my mom was working multiple jobs and you know we were going from different houses and moving, they were, um, they were almost like my parents in that sense. And I felt like I could be myself with them and they were always there. So here I am with this perfect storm. Um, I have all this grief. I don't know how to handle it. I don't feel like I belong. And I don't look like my family. And I was going away to university where it was socially acceptable to drink. So I, I refer to it as my perfect storm of where things got really bad. Um, and university was uh, like, it was a lot of fun, I think. I don't know. It was a lot of fun from the outside. I did good. I got good grades. I got my business degree. But it was kind of the point where my alcoholism just took off. Um, and it was socially acceptable, so I didn't really see it as wrong, you know? I was I was drinking to deal with my grief. I was drinking because that's how I drank. It was always more. But nobody was throwing up red flags. I wasn't throwing up red flags. People were often drunk in the middle of the week, and it wasn't taboo. So it allowed me to really get deep into alcoholism. And um, I like think of my drinking like this. At first year, it was kind of like I would get drunk Friday to Sunday. And then second year, it was like Thursday to Sunday. And by fourth year, I was drinking every day. Maybe Monday, I'd take off. And I didn't notice this progression happen either. Um, it was all of a sudden, I just couldn't function without knowing what my next drink was. And I didn't have a car in university, so I'd be biking to the LCBO. And it was a common thing for people to do, the liquor store. And um, I would need to make multiple trips in a day 
because I couldn't carry enough on my backpack. And like, these are flags that now I'm kind of like, that's absolutely absurd. You can't fit enough in your backpack. But at the time it was like, oh, I'm having fun. And I, again, realized, and this is, this is not something I'm bragging about. It just speaks to the level of alcoholism I would say I have. Um, I realized there's almost a magic formula that if I behaved on paper and made everything look okay, nobody would question what I do on the side. So I was really involved in school. I was a TA, um, you know, I got really good grades, but I would only be able to focus for such a short period of time. And I knew like, okay, I had three hours before I need to drink again. I need to maximize this time so that I can drink however I want. And that was kind of my experience in school. Um, but again, it, I didn't even recognize it as alcoholism. I recognized it as I'm young, 20, no consequences. I'm doing everything I need to. Um, but then I went home for the summer. I got a good job out of school and I had the summer off. And I went home and lived at my family home. And this is the first time where my parents really saw how I was behaving. And things that I never saw was a problem, like passing out at 3 p.m., they would come home and be like, this is not fucking normal. Um, like something is, you know, you have a problem. And I would plan my drinking around when they were at work or go to bed. Like this is the level I was at. Like I can't drink between 5 and 10 p.m. because that's when they're home. But at 10 p.m. I can get drunk, pass out, wake up, wait till they leave and get drunk, pass out. Um, but I mean, I don't know anybody who's tries to do that at home. I'm, I'm sure you're not as smart as I, like I didn't think I was as dumb as I was, but my parents picked up on it pretty quick. And, um, you know, it, it's scary, I think, for people to see this. And I don't need, I didn't need them at that time. I had a job. I had my own finances that I was going to have coming in and I was moving to another city. I was moving to Toronto from Ottawa. So it's kind of like hands are tied. We need to help you. And I'm kind of like ego through the roof. Like, what are you going to do? I have a job. I don't need you. If you kick me out, I'll leave. Um, but they begged me to go to a meeting. And um, so this was my first interaction with fellowship. And I remember going. So I was about 22-year-old city girl. And I'm in this like suburban um, fellowship meeting. And I felt like I... I'm not like any of you people. I don't connect with you at all. You're alcoholics. I'm just a young person. But I, I do like to tell the story that there was this one person there and this message I took away with me was they looked at me and every, I, I was coming in still reeking of alcohol. So everybody kind of you know was talking to me and trying to connect with me. And this one uh, individual trucker hat Nobody I would have thought I'd interact with at that time. Like I was so much better than you kind of attitude. I was real asshole. Um, and just said to me, you know, some days I can't commit to not drinking, but I just commit to the two hours it takes me to get here, stay here and leave. And that's all I commit to. So fast forward the next um, four to five years of my life, I moved to the city. I started working my corporate job. It was a really good job with a big company. And um, my drinking just, just got out of control. I had a partner at the time and we lived together and that lasted less than a year, largely due to me being passed out on the couch all the time. Um, 
but, you know, I, I was trying to keep up appearances in this formula that I developed at first where I thought, you know, if I keep my car, if I keep my job, nothing's wrong. And then it doesn't matter what I do that slowly gets chipped away. And I, I'd start making trade-offs like, oh, I'll just miss one friend event um, because I need a drink. And, oh, I'll just call in sick one day. And slowly and slowly, I just chipped away. And, like, there was no formula anymore. I couldn't hide behind this pretend facade. Um, and I was I was so deep into it. I, I, I didn't even know how bad it was. I just didn't know where to turn. And I was making career decisions. So I worked a really good corporate job. And going into the office after a binging all night, like, you know, spraying with Febreze, all the ridiculous things you hear. But people know. And at the time, I didn't think anyone knew. But now that I don't drink, I'm just like, you know, so much embarrassment and shame on that. But I was making decisions to move, you know, to different teams. Um, I was taking downward steps from my corporate job because I needed to change my environment. As soon as somebody started finding out I might have a drinking problem, I needed to make a move. Um, and there was just, there was no long-term thinking. All I would do is like, what can I do today to make sure I can keep drinking the way I need to? And I mean, I could tell a million more stories. It doesn't, it doesn't matter all the little details. One that really stands out to me is I would buy alcohol to sustain me for like the evening before the liquor store closed. I'm in Canada, so the liquor store closes. So you have to plan if you want to drink overnight. And I remember I bought enough alcohol to sustain me throughout a night. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and I thought I had bought um, enough. And I actually had gone through both bottles when I woke up. So not only did I not even realize I drank that much, that panic of what am I supposed to do for the next four hours? I was tearing up my house, looking for anything. Um, and I just like, all I could think about was my next drink. So um, I guess the turning points for me, um, my rock bottom, I feel like lasted a long time. There wasn't a moment where I was like, this is the dark point. I felt like I was in a dark place and I didn't know how to get out. And, you know, that cycle of, okay, maybe I'll stop drinking, but then I have to deal with everything. And I'm so deep that the only thing to fix how I feel about wanting to get out of this is to actually drink. Um, so, you know, that's where I was. And the biggest turning point for me, um, you know, even though I'm, I'm battling this wanting to belong and always feeling like an outsider and wanting to escape with also just this deep desire to be accepted. And it was always like these two forces pulling me. Um, but my sister and family who, my sister at this time was maybe 12, 10, 12. And she, uh, they came down for a soccer tournament with, with my family. And you know, I, was, I don't think I was a role model whatsoever, but um, like, in my head, I wanted to be for her. And, and she definitely looked up to me. And she came for a soccer tournament. And they were coming to pick me up around 10 a.m. And I remember waking up at 6 a.m. I was like, oh, I have time to get drunk, pass out, wake up. And it obviously didn't work. And they came and I like stumbled outside. And, you know, she saw me from the car. And my mom just came out and was like, 
get inside. It's so embarrassing. Like, I can't let your sister see you like this. Um, like, we can't deal with this. And all I could think about was, like, thank God I can go back upstairs and drink instead of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I can't go visit my family. And that was a point where it was so in my face, like a brick wall. I'm showing up drunk to meet my family from another city, and they're yelling at me about being in the state, you know, and all I can think about was this means I get to go upstairs and drink because they're not going to make me go out. And I love my family more than anything, but that's, that's just how this disease overconsumed me. Like all I could see was, Hey, I don't have to deal with that. Um, so they left and, uh, my sister called me every day saying, can you go to a meeting and get help? You know, and for it, a 10 year old to be calling and even aware what this is, um, that tore me up, you know, like it, I was like, you shouldn't even have to know what a problem like this is, what alcoholism is. Um, and I just felt so much shame and I still didn't act. I still drank for, you know, a week or two, but she would call me every day. And eventually I just couldn't tell her I didn't do anything anymore. So I went to a meeting and um, I, you know, I, I find fellowship and I don't know, okay, to talk about that stuff on here, but fellowship is my anchor and my starting place for everything. Um, and that's where I developed a spiritual sense that I needed. But for me, it wasn't enough. I needed a complete identity and mindset shift. Um, which came in the form of, you know, healthy behaviors and um, a health mindset, identity shift. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But so I started working the program and then I, it lasted. I was in that honeymoon stage. I'm sober for a day. I'm the best person in the world. I could do anything. And um, I, I stayed and worked, didn't work it. I went and participated for six months and then there was an event, there was drinking, and I was like, well, I have to drink at this. And for the next six months from that day to when I actually got sober again, um, it was the most miserable six months of my life because now I was drinking alcoholically and I knew I was, and I thought the only way to get help was not something that worked for me. So I was drinking with this just hopeless feeling um, and I was lying in bed six months later. I was about to have a week vacation from work. And I was seriously concerned that I might drink myself to death with a week off and no accountability of having to go anywhere. Um, and I was lying in bed and I had this flashback to that meeting I went to when I was 22 with a guy with a trucker hat saying, you don't have to commit to the day, just go for two hours. And that got me out of bed and then got me to um, meeting again and that was on March 24th 2018 and I've been sober since um, the difference was this time I worked a program and I did a lot of other things that for me I needed um, working a program I, I think it helps a lot inside and I needed to feel progression happening in my life physically emotionally mentally really fast um, and I was getting sober faster than I was learning how to deal with my emotions, which the first time caused me to re-drink. So what I mean by that is I'm, 
I'm getting sober. I stopped drinking and I have this flood of shame, guilt, and nothing to do with it. And that's often, you know, that buildup was what caused me to drink. So this time I did a lot of fitness, which is like, I'm a huge promoter of um, running. I hadn't run. I was smoking and drinking all the time. And I just started running. I started with five minutes and then at 10 and then it just, you know, I kept progressing and that physical progression in my life was able to align with the spiritual work I was doing. And it was just this synergy for me where I could feel like all areas of my life. I was moving away from the alcoholic. So, so, um, that was kind of the big steps I took early on, but for the last two years, um, like I said, I, I worked a program. I, I've dealt with a lot of the ways I feel, um, I've mended relationships with friends and family. And I kind of, I remember sitting and reading this article about a gentleman who went from an addict to a marathon runner. And for me, what that sparked was I really wanted to think, what is the opposite of the person I am right now? Who is that opposite person? And, you know, I thought about it. And for me, it was an Ironman, a triathlete. And at the time, you know, I was smoking probably a pack of cigarettes a day and drinking. I was like, I'm never going to get there. But it was more just like, I'm either taking steps to that person or I'm taking steps towards the version I am now. And I slowly started doing things to get myself away from my perception of how I was as an alcoholic. Um, so that's the physical component. But I, again, I, I think the biggest transformation um, for me is is really just understanding that like I, I don't need to isolate. I need to connect and really reach out to other people and you know talk about what's going on. Um, my natural reaction is just to want to disappear. And the more I connect into whether it's a program, community, whatever works for anybody, I really don't think there's a wrong way to do recovery. I think you have to figure out what works for you. Um, but the more pieces and the more connecting you do and the more understanding and discovery, that's what really worked for me. Um, so now I still have my business here. I still work a corporate job on the side. I do do some recovery coaching. And again, that's just the blend of, yes, you need the spiritual component. I think that's the motherboard where you start, but I also believe there needs to be health and identity shifts. So, you know, I needed different elements for myself and I'm not saying everybody needs that, but I needed to learn how to eat properly, how to sleep properly. Water is important. Like these are basic things that help my body feel alive. The more alive I felt, um, the less I wanted to, you know, retreat into drinking. That's the main part of my story. Um, I, like I said at the beginning, I find it's really important to share and connect. And I'm a judgment-free zone. So if, if anybody feels like they're on the fence about talking about things or, you know, you need a hand to reach out to, um, I keep that completely to myself, totally confidential. And uh, my Instagram is fit underscore for underscore sobriety. And again, my name's Tia. And any, anything I could do to help uh, this community, I'm always for it because I got a lot from it. I can totally get with that. Yeah. Yeah. The more, 
alive I felt, the further away I was from drinking. Yeah, it's so true. It's like the the more I do for myself and the more I invest in myself, the more the compulsion and the obsession yeah. to drink is relieved yeah. from me. I love that, you know, because mm-hmm. I agree with her. Yeah. And she talks about bringing all those elements together, you know, like fitness, the way she incorporates water. I, I love that she touched on these things because yeah. they're so important, you know, and we don't we don't often think about, you know, the physical aspects of like, what am I doing for myself physically in the food that I eat, the water that I'm drinking, you know, the exercise that I'm getting and how that plays a role in my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, coming from binge drinking, you know, and, and, and like being scheduling, having a scheduled drinking mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I can drink from this eight, this point to this point. We don't give a fuck about food or right. nutrition or exercise. Every mm-hmm. everything is scheduled around feeding the addiction. Oh yeah, you know. And, and she talks about it well. You know, mm-hmm. like feeling relieved. And and I remember, I remember what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Any time that I could could prioritize my using over everything, when people would finally just leave me the fuck alone, right, and let me be. You know, and. The selfishness of it is so crazy that how we become so disconnected from the emotional standpoint of the, of our loved ones, right? Right, because our loved ones are fucking dying mm. inside over over that, and we can't see it. We're just like, sweet, I can go back upstairs and fucking drink. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's powerful for me. I I, I remember that. You know, I I know. There was a specific Christmas for me where, you know, we were getting together as a family and and I had been drinking before and and my my father could smell it on my breath and he wasn't happy. He didn't tell me he wasn't happy. I found out later that he had said something to my other siblings about it, but it was like I couldn't that that family event could not get over soon enough because mm-hmm. I was just so anxious and wanted to just go right back to drinking. Yeah. Like, what what am I doing here? You think, never, I'm never present. And, and in that moment, do you think you knew they knew? Or did you think they... Oh, like, it's like, just like Tia said, you know, I, I thought that nobody knew. Right. I thought I was pulling a one over on everybody, yeah. you know. But they know. They all know. Yeah. Because we're loved. Right. That's, that's the blessing and the curse, you know. Like, mm-hmm. like we are, we are loved, mm-hmm. you know. And, and she touches on, like, like having the the burden of trying to be perfect mm-hmm. up to a point where you finally, you know, we finally find the relief that we're looking for in a substance. Right. And we think that's going to work forever. Yeah. And don't consider the consequences of trying to chase that forever. And, and what ends up happening is what ended up happening for her. You know, mm-hmm. she hit her bottom. Right. You know, disconnected from everything. Like, like, um, you know, people going out of their way, to, to come and love on us. And then we've, you know, we abandon that love to drink and find ourselves in a position where we're getting talked to by a 12 year old, right. You know, by people that love us and, and age doesn't matter, you know, because that helped her, that helped her. That was what she needed to realize that, you know, like this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows. Mm-hmm. And deep down inside, I know. And now I need to do the work to get out of this or I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's not very nice to the people that love me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. 
It's not. We just, as, as addicts and alcoholics, when we die in our disease, we leave nothing but a fucking giant mess for the rest of our family's right. lives. Right. Not just the moment that it, around our death, like for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. It's a, there's a disaster mm-hmm. looming in the air. You know, and so when we can get on this side, you know, whether it's through meetings or therapy or some other, you know, through fitness or some other determining factor, some type of program that we can make our lives better, it's better for the people that love us. Right. You know, and that's a great, 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 great gift. Oh, yeah. She was so great. She, you know, she, I'm so happy that she was able to find you know, what she needed in meetings and that she had somebody that planted that seed for her. It's a good reminder for me that, you know, when I go to meetings, how important it is to talk to the new person, because you just never know, like, you never know what you're going to say that's going to plant the seed. Yeah. And even if it doesn't grow right away, at least Mm -hmm. it's planted. Exactly. Yeah. So. So great. Well, thank you, Tia. Thank you, Tia, for sharing your story. It was great. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for thanks for coming, Cameron. I'm glad I showed up. This is the one time I'm coming for you. I'll never be here again. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> thanks, Jordan. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. For coming out, man. There, doing doing your thing back there, making the show possible. So great. Yeah. Great episode. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah. I'm gonna go hit a meeting. I need a meeting. This is a this is like a meeting. It kind of is. People but. people don't maybe they don't realize that this is a lot of what meeting is. One alcoholic talking to another, (laughs) you know, it's more like the meeting after the meeting. Yeah, it really is. And I get a lot out of it. So thanks for showing up and and being part of this. And me too. Thank you to everybody for, for real, for real. So yeah, for real, for real. With that, uh, I will see you on the other side. You are worth the work.